You were listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 194. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. Happy New Year. If you are listening to this show linearly, then it is now three or four days into the new year. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. You're able to at least alleviate, if not eliminate outright, many of the social cues that might have set you off down an emotional path that would not have benefited you over the holidays. Absolutely making it through New Year's Eve, forging your new trail in sobriety and recovery is humongous. And I applaud any of you who have stepped into this world new and recently, because I know a lot of people make not drinking a New Year's resolution. And this might be where I have found you today. And if you are new to the show, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. If you are a longtime listener of the show, then welcome back. It is also glad to have you. We're going to talk today about what you can do to forge your new life in sobriety and recovery. There's a lot of things that are going to be going through your head and going to be going through your body. There's going to be a lot of charges happening. And what occurs when you quit drinking, when you quit using your substance of choice, is very similar to what is occurring in your body when you decide to make other important life changes. Getting in or out of a serious relationship, losing weight, um, taking on a new personal fitness routine, deciding to communicate more effectively with your loved ones, taking on a new job. Your brain is going through a lot of the same procedures in order to make these things actionable, like something that you're actually going to be able to accomplish. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to run through a list of some of my key pointers in order to no longer use alcohol or drugs. And at the same time, I'm going to be able to tie those in to how they are actually useful and effective in other areas of your life. So for those of you who are old-time listeners of the show, you will absolutely find value because I'm going to be making a lot of really great comparisons to what you're going through. And for those of you who are new to sobriety and are just stepping into this whole idea, this whole world of not drinking anymore as an automatic um, cued response, then you're going to be able to find a tremendous amount of value here as well. Not the entire show will this be the most easy uh, parallel conversation when it comes to making these massive changes, but I'm going to be very mindful to draw as many comparisons as possible so that you can find a level of continuity in this conversation. So there are many paths in order to achieve sobriety and ultimately move and forge yourself into recovery. And it's going to be a lot of different people giving you a lot of different information, especially if you're utilizing social media at the same time and going on um, Instagram or TikTok, because those are the primary two people are going on to get support and information. You're hear a lot of people talking about a lot of different ways that you can accomplish this major life change. And it's going to be important for you to run it through a couple different filters. One, you know, is this a person that you have some level of trust in, right? Do they have the lived experience? Do they talk about things in an energetic way that it somehow complies with you, that works with you? As well as you're going to be extremely mindful in just asking yourself, is this going to work for me? 
And when you ask that, because you're going to, that's going to run through your mind. Somebody's going to give you a pointer and you're going to say, hmm, will that work for me? There's a, there's a saying that one of my peers says a lot and he's like, well, you got to figure out what works for you. So when we're talking about doing something new in our careers, he's like, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you know, I got to figure out what's going to work for me. Here's my issue with that statement. When you're doing things that work for you, then what you're looking for is some level of comfortability, some level of a habit already built around that. You know, you're looking for familiarity. And so if somebody introduces you to something and you immediately reject it, it may not necessarily mean that it wouldn't work for you if you started to practice at it, if you started to actually do it. It might seem weird and confusing. It might even lead you to immediately feeling frustrated in that moment. But it's in confusion. It's in the frustration. That's where the breakthroughs happen. Stepping outside of your comfort zone into your uncomfort zone is going to be your go-to move as you shift yourself into sobriety. It's career, going to the gym. A lot of resolutions are made at the end of a year for the beginning of the year. And when we go to actually achieve these changes that we've made the resolution around, and I've talked to them in the past, not a big fan of resolutions. I'm more a fan of starting slowly at the end of one year so that you already have momentum going into the new year. We talked about that. I don't know the episode off the top of my head, but it's about passing the baton. One year starts, right? December, let me let me be clear. I'm starting to stumble on my words. To me, 2023 started December 1st, 2022 ends February 1st. There's a 60-day window I provide myself to start making some of these changes. And if you're listening to this non-linearly and it's June, you can do this anytime you want. You can just simply say, you know what? I want to have this massive change in my life and I want to set this 60-day window in order to gain momentum and start to really be achieving it. And you can make that decision right now. This does not have to be a New Year's thing. It's just a day. I get it. Tons of celebrations and fireworks and all this cool stuff is built up around the passing of one minute. I totally get it. But the planet doesn't know that the year changed. Your body doesn't know that the year changed. Your mind's saying, hey, by the way, the calendar switched, whatever. You can decide right now to make any change that you want. And as you're going through this decision process in your head and you're looking for new ways to achieve things that you've never done, right? If you want to accomplish things you've never accomplished, you have to do things that you've never done. If you're still doing the same thing and you're only doing things that work for you, expect very similar results. So when you go off and you start listening to me or others about what it is you can be doing to shift and change in your life, and if your first response is, that's not going to work for me, I've never done it that way, I don't even understand that, that's a limiting belief and a limiting understanding you have about what this change is going to take. I can't do that as a limiting belief. You could do it if you chose to put maximum effort into it. And I know some of you are saying there's certain things we just can't do. Well, I get if somebody says, go pick up my car, that would be extremely difficult for one human to go pick up a car. But I didn't say that you had to pick up the car with your own body. I just said, hey, that car needs to be moved. Does that mean that I get a rope and pulley system or a tow truck or just start the damn thing and reverse it down the driveway? I didn't give you any parameters that said you yourself have to go lift that car. And oftentimes when we're introduced to new things, we see it in the box about how we've done it in the past without seeing it stretch beyond our limited focus all the way to the peripheral where we can actually notice that there are other ways to move the car. 
There are other ways to quit the drinking. There are other ways to make sure that we start getting more physically active. Like I was telling one of the tribal members yesterday, you know, um, five minutes of physical activity or five push-ups is better than zero minutes of activity, zero push-ups. Anything is better than nothing. A lot of the coaching I do is around what can you do for one minute today to increase your physical activity, your mental acuity, your emotional intelligence, your spiritual awakening, whatever. One minute is better than no minutes. I would rather you journal for one minute than not journal at all. I have a video app that I keep putting off starting. It's the weirdest thing. I've been super excited about doing this video app for keeping my journals. And for some reason, I just, it's like, I don't want to pull the trigger on $20 a year. It's like, I got this weird thing. Well, what if I don't use it as much as I say I'm going to use it? It's $20. It's 20 freaking dollars. Like put it on the iPad, put the iPad next to the computer and just start talking into it. One minute a day, 30 days from now, I've got 30 minutes of really cool video journaling that I've done for myself, right? But if I don't even do one minute, I can never get to an hour or further. So when we start to talk about moving yourself into sobriety, these key points I'm going to talk about, and this works anywhere in your life, is noticing the little shifts, the little habits. And if it's something that you immediately want to say, no, that's not going to work for me. That's not how I've always done it. Great. That's a really good indicator that this is something that's going to stretch you outside of yourself. And if you're certainly going through withdrawals and you're in pain because sobriety is not something that you're totally prepared for, I'm going to lay down some very easy strategies that you can begin to implement to make this process, and I'm not even going to use the word easy. The strategies to lay down in theory are easy. It's the execution of them. It's the taking action on them that is going to begin to stretch you. And this is going to be a very stretching process. And whether you're changing careers or getting more physically healthy, anything in your life, even communicating more lovingly and with more patience to your people in your house, it's going to take some time. And we'll get into that further down this list. So just know that you've rung the bell. You've made the decision to stop drinking. If you're listening to a show like this and you literally think you have to be sober now for the rest of your life, alcohol and drugs are no longer benefiting me. They are now absolutely my poison. You've rung the bell. You can't put the toothpaste back in the the tube. It's done. I, I there is a there is a drinking monster inside of me that when it touches my lips, it is a it is go speed racer to blackout. I I, I said for the last. 10 years of my drinking. I was, in a, I was in a race to the blackout and I was the only one participating. Nobody else around me was wanting to drink like that and that's how I ended up isolated in my bedroom on Cahuenga Boulevard in Hollywood, California, drinking myself to obliteration, staring out my window across the street at the tent city of homeless people and just being like, at what point am I going to end up living over there with them and not where I'm at? When will my life completely fall apart? Right? You're not going to forget at any point how bad the drinking was for you because we're going to show you through this show how to solidify some anchors in yourself so that if you're ever feeling tempted, then you can make sure that you that you can recall that. Not in a way that's going to bring up the pain and the trauma, but in a way that's going to absolutely feel and remind you that, hey, that's who I was and this is who I am now. You are in control of your life. You can thrive. You have self-worth. Even if you don't think you do, You have some inside of you or you wouldn't even be trying to step into sobriety. And I will tell you as somebody who has met thousands upon thousands of people stepping into sobriety and into recovery that you have worth. You are a human being. You are an amazing individual just because you exist. 
you have just as much worth as Bezos or Elon Musk or any of those other people who tout themselves on Instagram. You have worth. So let's show, let's go through this list and let's start to explain to you some ways that you can begin to instill this worth inside of you. And regardless of what change you're ready to make in your life, you can earn the feeling of deserving it. A lot of people want to say, you deserve a better life. I believe you earn a better life. And I definitely believe that when you put in your work, you can earn the feeling of deserving it. There are certain things I'm like, I absolutely deserve this thing because I have worked my ass off to earn this thing. I don't just assume I deserve it because I'm a human. There are some inalienable rights that I would very much enjoy everybody on this planet having, food, water, shelter, warmth. I would love it if the rest of the planet could get on board with that. And that's an episode (laughs) for a different show. So let's go into this and just know you have worth. Whatever you believe about yourself, we're going to help you shift it in this show. And if um, I'm talking to a lot of y'all new ones because I'm already noticing a spike in numbers because a lot of people set this as a resolution and you're starting here. You can go back to number episode, like the first 10, and I get into some really meaty subjects that will help. But I won't dive in too deep to some of the material I've already covered because um, I want to make sure this is useful for those of you new. And then absolutely, you can go back and you can start listening to all the other episodes. A lot of the listeners start listening from the beginning and move up. And that's four years ago. So a lot of the ways that I talk and experience sobriety and recovery has changed. And you'll get to go along on that journey with me if you go back to the beginning and move your way through them. All right, let's discuss some of the ways that you can begin to really solidify this change into your life today. And if you start thinking about becoming sober, you're going to see this on Google this. It's going to be everywhere. This one is not groundbreaking, the very first one, but it is absolutely one that I did not adhere to. The number one trick key to stepping into a life of sobriety is getting the booze out of your house. So what is your mindset around sobriety? Right? What is the motivation that you have for wanting to do this with your life? What is going to be your grounding force? Right? I used integrity, humility, and gratitude. I was very focused on doing what was right for myself even when no one was watching. This is, you, you can't expect somebody to always be looking over your shoulder to make sure that you don't use. And so one of the primary ways this is going to be helpful for you is to get whatever it is that you're addicted to out of your reach, out of your house. So if you feel triggered, cued, activated to drink, then at the very least, you have to leave your house and go to your neighborhood li- liquor store in order to get it. And having some time between when you are stimulated to drink and when you can actually drink, that space between gives you the opportunity to make sure that you catch yourself and say, no, this is not what I am going to do. It is non-negotiable. You have made this decision. You have told yourself, this is what you want to do. This is what you want to do. So get the booze out of your house. I did not. I woke up in a bathtub full of shit and piss and blood and vomit. My heart was fucking squeezing. My left arm was going numb. I was blue because I had been in this shower. I mean, I had blacked out and passed out in it. I have no idea how long I was in that bathtub, but the water was ice cold. And when I woke up, my legs were so numb, I could barely crawl to the sink to look at the shame monster staring back at me in the mirror. And when I checked myself into Kaiser, I was hell-bent on this being the last, last time. I was hell-bent on it being the last, last time. 
No more waking up all over my kitchen floor, butt naked or pissing in my bed or whatever. I mean, I was, was, death was coming. It was it. But I wanted to make sure I was serious and I had some whiskey and I had some beer and I had some wine and I kept it in the room for six weeks. And I asked my therapist about that and I asked people at meetings and they said that other people they know had done that. And whether that was the best decision, I can assure you I was told multiple times to not do it that way. But I wanted my I wanted Jesse to be serious about this. I was like, if you want it, dude, it's right there. I mean, the nearest liquor store is a three-minute walk out the front door. It's where all the homeless people sleeping in the tents across your street are getting their booze. It's not hard to get your booze if you want the booze. So there it is, dude. Are you serious? And I was. And, I, and, it, and it worked for me. But I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and recommend that you do that. So if you are in a state of new to sobriety, it is probably going to be, behoove you, more beneficial for you to get it completely out of your house, to have it not be around. And if there's people in your home who want to continue to drink, then it's going to be on you know you to ask them, hey, just for a period of time, could we please just eliminate this as a tempter? Right? This is something that I'm going through, and we're going to get into that a little bit further down here when we start talking about discussing this with somebody important to you. So number two, you're going to want to have some kind of substitute beverage that you're going to be able to utilize. And I know I've Googled this. I've done a ton of research. There's a lot of different things that I could have slid into number two. I slid this one in here on purpose because when I first got sober, I was very mindful to have other beverages that provided some level of flavor to my palate, to my taste buds, um, so that when I wanted to drink alcohol, it wasn't just water. When I would you know, start going out and about and being social, and we'll discuss that in a little bit more later, I found that just drinking water at social events just didn't just didn't it didn't vibe. It didn't feel right to my body. So I turned to soda water. I had been drinking soda water for years. I love soda water. I made sure I had soda water. Something about the bubbles on the back of my throat, especially when I decided to get sober and I knew beer would no longer be an option, the bubbles really allowed that texture on the back of my throat that I that I had been so craving from beer. And it actually, I convinced myself that it wasn't beer that I really wanted. It was the bubbles. And so now soda water, I still to this day drink two or three cans of soda water every single day. I love my soda water. So have that tea, flavored water. Have something different for your palate to taste at the beginning. Whatever you decide to start drinking now, other than alcohol, doesn't have to become your lifelong habit. But at these beginning stages, if orange juice or milk or something can help somehow alleviate that taste bud sensation going on, then drink it. Drink anything other than alcohol. Anything. And anything. And that's where we're going to go into number three. Be decisive. You chose this for a reason. You were in an emotional state. You're probably extremely vulnerable. You're in pain. Life had led you to making this decision. You have been planning it out for a, while, a long, long time, contemplating and planning part of the changes, this, the, the process of change. You know, these are the stages of change. There was a pre-contemplation where you never in a million years thought you needed to quit. Then some shit went down and you started contemplating a life without alcohol. You might have even started to plan it at the, uh, years ago. And now you're taking action. Be decisive. Drinking is non-negotiable. It is not allowed to happen. It's it. It's done. It's over with. 
Making that decision is easy. That's it. I'm done drinking. I made it hundreds of times. It was the process of continuing on with the non-drinking. And when you're in a vulnerable, sad, depressed, emotional state, in pain, detoxing, it's way easier to say, I'm never going to drink again, than it is going to be in a week or two or four, whenever your body is feeling normal again, and you're just like, well, maybe I could just have one. If you were the kind of person who could just have one, you wouldn't be listening to a show like this. So drinking is non-negotiable. I want you to start releasing this identity of an alcoholic and start stepping in. I am sober. I am sober. Just make it a mantra. I am sober. I am being sober. Some days are going to be better than others. It's not sobriety that sucks. It's life sometimes. So how are you going to go through this? Who do you want to be while you are healing yourself? Right? What are you doing to make this the real deal? And now this is where I can start bringing some other choices in life into play. Right now, even having substitutes. If you decided that you want to be uh, more healthy, right? A bunch of people in my in the tribe right now that are talking about physical fitness and nutrition strategy, right? You want to have substitutes for some of the comfort foods that used to pack on the pounds, right? So maybe now instead of having Oreos, you know, get the Oreos out of the house and instead replace it with, uh, I don't know, some other item. I almost said sugar-free cookies. I don't know if that's any better. Look at the calories, figure that out. But it's, this goes, you know, if you're looking to change something massive, like your, your waist size, getting those temptations out of the house for a little while, hide them in a box, put them in the garage, do something, be decisive, have substitutes. What else could you enjoy chewing on, right? That might have the similar texture of an Oreo cookie, but not the 180 calories for three of them kind of, you know, (laughs) payment you're going to put on your, on your waistline. And then being decisive, you know, making this drinking non-negotiable is making eating sugar non-negotiable or making arguing with your wife or husband non-negotiable. It's like, no, I have decided that I'm going to change this behavior and this is what I'm going to do. It is non-negotiable. How are you going to go through this? What decision? I am a person who has emotional intelligence. I am a person who speaks clearly to my loved one. I'm a person who goes to the gym three days a week. What mantra, what identity statement? What I am statement can you attach to this new desired behavior? And now we go to number four. What are your identity? I want you to identify your triggers, cues, anchors, activation points. So there's four ways that you guys have gotten used to me talking about these, these triggers. And it's by calling them triggers, cues, anchors, or activation points. There are no weak people. There are only strong anchors. When you have some sort of cue that fires you up to want to drink or eat sugar, whatever it is you're kicking, right, that is, it's ingrained. There's a habit loop built around that, right? And when you can start to identify what triggers you to want to start drinking, then you can begin to start to take that that habit loop apart and figure out what it is that you can change and, and shift in order for you to get the desired outcome, which is not drinking. Things that are going to trigger you. Halt. I know a lot of you have heard of this. For you newcomers, it's halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Right? We know about hungry. We call it hangry, right? It's like you get hungry and then you get angry, right? And if you get hungry and angry enough around people, eventually you're going to be lonely because none of those people are going to want to be around you. (laughs) And tired when you exhaust yourself. That's when you don't want to go cook a good meal, and that's whenever you just go in there and you get some fast food, you eat a bunch of greasy food, next thing you know, you're drinking a bunch of beers, and that's it. Peace out the next three days. So be looking for where you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are absolutely going to be activation points for you going back to the using. 
right? It's absolutely, it's absolutely going to be a trigger, right? Negative emotions, fear, anger, sadness, shame, guilt, jealousy. I teach these in neuro-linguistic programming, right? These are the six primary negative emotions that lead people to um, anchor deep into their trauma, right? It's like all of a sudden they See, here's the thing about trauma. Traumatic moments happen all the time. Some of us can release them easier than others. And then all of a sudden, that traumatic moment just becomes a life point. It doesn't become trauma. Trauma occurs when we relive the experience over and over and over and over and over again in our heads. Then it further further anchors into us and becomes one of these trigger points. Right? There's somebody in the tribe who who has this one person in their life that they call oomph. And it's so there's like this oomph guy. Then relive this conversation enough in your head and it becomes an anchor point, right? And so then whenever some self-doubt or some sort of level of upsetness or rejection occurs, the brain's like, I remember what this feels like because it feels just like this moment. And now there's a reliving. And this is what we talk about when you spiral yourself down into this hole. It's because you continue to relive something that happened in your life, right? And now it's become even more and more anchored into your head. And it's these negative emotions, fear, anger, sadness, shame, guilt, jealousy. These are going to be attached to those memories. And that's how traumatic moments become trauma. And they will affect your self-worth. They will affect how you, are, how you go about fulfilling your six human needs, certainty, variety, love and connection, some significance, personal growth, and contribution. Absolutely. These six negative emotions of fear, anger, sadness, shame, guilt, jealousy, right? as, long, as well as with halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, these are going to create this visceral feeling inside yourself that the only way to alleviate what's going on inside of my mind and body right now is alcohol or drugs. It's the way the brain has been programmed. You have got so many years of doing this that it can literally be anything. Happy, sad, stressed, relaxed. It doesn't matter what you're trying to alleviate or enjoy. You can mental mental gymnastics your way, (laughs) spit that out, mental gymnastics your way into justifying drinking. So it's a non-negotiable. And when you feel fear, anger, sadness, shame, guilt, jealousy, these six negative emotions, understand that part of sobriety, part of recovering yourself is learning how to process negative emotions. Adverse childhood experiences in our life that created traumatic moments became trauma in our teenage years and into our adulthood. I mean, I'm still contending with with some level of trauma from my first couple girlfriends in high school and not getting the love reciprocated the way that I wanted or having somebody love me and not having the ability to gently say no. Like I've still have, and and these have latched on and they have become part of my love styles and my attachment styles still to this day. There is going to be stuff you're going to be uncovering about your life throughout this entire process. This is a journey, not a destination. All of this growth and all of this recovery, it ends the day that they put my body in the crematorium. Other than that, every single day for the rest of my life, I'm going to be looking for different ways to process my emotions in a more healthy manner. And one of the ways you're going to do that is number five, change your behaviors and your actions and begin noticing your habits. Your day-to-day behaviors and actions have created your habits and your habits become your life. 
What standards do you have for what you do on a day-to-day basis? If you're going home from work and sitting on your couch in your underwear eating The Simpsons, you know, eating The Simpsons, eating donuts while watching The Simpsons, and that's it. And the only thing that's changed is that there's not a bottle of beer next to you. So when you picture yourself on this couch in your undies eating donuts watching The Simpsons, and honestly, when I say that, the picture in my head I have is Homer doing that. Homer, the back in the day, would sit there in those little tiny whiteies of his eating out of a box of donuts watching TV. That's one of the reasons I use it as an example so much, right? This guy drank too much, ate too much. Basically, he, he loved all the vices. He, and if he wants to change his life, he's going to have to change his behaviors and actions. If the only thing that you change is removing the alcohol, the only thing that you change is removing the sugar from your house, the only thing you change is your job title or your job environment or just where you work in general, but you still go in there and you still behave the same way, you still work the same way you've always worked, then I would expect similar results. If you're not taking the sugar and the booze and all these things out of your house and and that's it, you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to say no more. I cannot tell you how many times I took alcohol and sugar out of my house and was like, that's it. I'm going to be this super healthy guy. I'm going to start up a YouTube channel. I'm going to show people how to get fit. And six weeks later, I was down there in my rock bottom again because I wasn't identifying my triggers and my cues and my anchor points. And I wasn't actually really, really changing my behaviors and actions and taking apart my habits. You got to do different stuff, y'all. If you're watching TV or on social media, messing around on your phone all the time, piddling around on the internet, it's time to start to change some of those things. Everyone changes, so can you. When When I hear people say, I can't make this change, I hear you fighting for a life you've already told me you're sick and tired of. We ain't playing that game anymore. This is going to be, this is going to change everything. Quitting alcohol, quitting drugs, quitting, you know, uh, muting your feelings with with food, uh, quitting a job you've been at for years or, you know, moving on and, and trying something new, getting in or out of a relationship. These are monumental life changes. For me, I believe of all of the monumental life changes uh, that someone who is suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction, you know, this use dependency can take on is quitting the substance, quitting all of the substances. Because everything else you want in life is going to become that much more attainable when you take away this one thing. I tried to change everything about my life except for taking away alcohol. I took away the cocaine, the LSD, the ketamine, the ecstasy, the Vicodin, the uh, the oxycodone and the cottons and the amitriptyline and all that shit. I took all of that out and thought, alcohol, it's socially acceptable. They sell it at 7-Elevens, right? I mean, like, this is at every store. This isn't that big of a deal. They run commercials for this shit all the time during football games. Clearly, this is something I should be able to control and manage, and it almost fucking killed me. Everything I've gotten in my life since that last, last time has been because that was the last, last time. And changing my behaviors became just an obsession. Addiction is when we go back to the same behavior over and over and over again, despite um, adverse results, despite negative results. So people will be like, oh, I'm so addicted to Skittles, or I'm so addicted to watching the the Kardashians. Is that bringing an adverse result? Do you get fired from your job for watching too much Kardashians? 
right? Did all your teeth fall out overnight because you ate some Skittles? Like we use the word addiction and we throw it around a lot in our society, but to truly harness the power of what it's been doing to you, it is that it's, it, that it's bringing about adverse results and yet you continue to do it. This is why I say everybody's addicted to something. Because if you're yelling at your spouse, you're yelling at your kids, that is, that is, that is an, you are leaving yourself with an adverse consequence. An ad, you, it's something that is no longer working for you, yet you continue with the behavior. I'm just going to scream at everybody in my family till they agree with me, and then that's going to cause them to ostracize me. I'm going to feel isolated. I'm only going to get deeper into my addiction. Then I'm only going to yell and scream louder. I'm only going to drink more booze. I'm only going to do more drugs. It doesn't work that way. You cannot continue doing something that you know is killing you. The toothpaste is out of the tube. So you're going to need to change your behaviors. Addiction took away everything from me. So I immediately structured my life. I got back into the gym. I hid in the gym for hours, hours for those first few weeks. I think it was like the first six or eight weeks until I finally took the booze out of the room. I mean, I'd go up there at like eight o'clock at night and just walk around and just do loops in the gym just to not be in my room where I used to get drunk. I changed that behavior. That just, it was like, that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to be here in this gym. I was listening to podcasts. I was talking on the phone. I, I didn't care. I just, this is where I need to be to keep myself safe. This is where I will need to be. Read, write, learn, listen, whatever it is you want to do, make it the number one priority to make sure that going back to the drinking is non-negotiable. And this works well, well again, back to physical fitness or, or talking more lovingly to your family. Have some structure around it. When are you going to be doing those things? What is it you're going to do? Have a plan. Have a little workout process. Don't walk into a gym or you know, come home and look at the exercise bike and not have some sort of strategy for what you're going to do when you walk into that gym, when you get on that bike. Hey, I'm going to do this for five minutes and I'm going to turn it up to 10 and I'm going to bike really hard and burn all my muscles and I'm going to turn it down to number five and have a plan. Every addiction treatment center I've ever spoken at, ever talked to, tells me that one of the first things they do is they say they start to lay out a structure for what each and every day will look like for the person who's new into sobriety. Idle hands are the devil's tool. That is not a saying that has lived for this long because, because there wasn't a modicum of truth into it. Anything you're looking to change is going to be something that you have to begin to build a routine around. And be, be mindful of trying to make too many changes at once because now you're trying to create a ton of different habits at the same time. The brain's going to freak out. It's going to get frustrated. It's going to get confused. And when it does that, if it's not prepared to forge through that and stay in the uncomfort zone until it becomes comfortable, it's going to go back to what it already knows as comfortable. And that's the drinking. That's the using. Number six, tell someone the opposite of addiction is connection. Now, this could show up anywhere in this list. Certainly, you have probably already told some people that you were going to get sober before you did it. Um, I did not. I woke up in the shit tub. I called up Kaiser. I said, that's it. I, my sister knew I was, I was looking to get sober because she was already in rehab at that point. But I hadn't really talked about it with anyone else because I didn't want their energy involved. I was either telling people who'd been telling me to get sober for years that I wanted to get sober. And they're like, yeah, dude, I've had this conversation with you 50 times. Fuck off. You're not doing anything with it. Or I'd call up people who didn't think I had a drinking problem, who would try to, honest to God, convince me I did not have a drinking problem. Like, to me, that is the most asinine thing I've ever heard. 
hey, I'm killing myself with alcohol and drugs on the regular. Uh, I'd like to give you a call up and talk to you about that. And instead, they spend an inordinate amount of time telling me that I'm not an alcoholic. Well, you don't know what's actually happening behind the curtain. You have not pulled it back to see that Oz is just some dude yanking on a bunch of cords. Most of these people did not know the isolated, sad, depressed, broken Jesse who was just chugging through handles of vodka and snorting fucking Adderall, you know, just to keep himself awake so he could continue doing more drugs and alcohol. Like they did not know that version of me. They saw the person who went out to the bar and had one or two and laughed and was super cordial and friendly. They did not know what was really happening. So I didn't want their energy, but I did want some people to know. And that's why my sister knew. And that's why I told Ron Rico Davis, he's the sunshine. I shout out at the end of the show he was the first, I walked into work and it was the first thing I told him. And for the longest time, he was the only person in my life who knew. For I mean, when I say the longest time, other than the people at Kaiser, there was not other people I was inviting into this because I wanted to get some time before I let my dad know or my brother or anyone else, you know, my close friends. I wanted to have time. I mean, best friends in my, for my entire life did not know until my 41st birthday on June 15th of 2017. I went that entire six months and told no one because I just, I wanted to know that it was real. I wanted to, so somebody was like, oh, I hear Jesse sober. Oh yeah. What's he got? Four days. Uh, he's got six months. Oh wow. Okay. So this is what's happening in his life now. So tell someone important to you, probably in your home is where you're going to want to start. Best friends, certainly. But you know, I want this person to be able to see the changes in you and to be a part of the journey for you and with you. And they may have seen you try to do this tens and tens and tens of times, hundreds of times maybe, and before. And it's going to be up to you and them to decide, are they really going to be supportive? They might say, man, you have tried this so many times in front of me. I just, good luck. Okay, then maybe it's time to go find somebody else, right? And this is where the whole don't do it alone comes into play. So number six is tell someone, right? The opposite of addiction is connection, right? You can start to prove that you're taking this even more and more seriously by letting by letting at least a few people know that are close so that you have someone you can call upon, right? And that might be somebody at the meeting, and that's number seven, is this idea of not doing it alone. Again, the opposite of addiction is connection. It's super funny. I had one of the people who taught me NLP, um, Bagala is what I call him. I've talked about him in the past. He sent me a text message the other day, and he's like, hey, he's like, do you believe that the opposite of addiction is connection? And I was like, dude, that's so funny that you just asked me that question out of the clear blue. I was like, I talk about that all the time on the podcast. It is literally a focal point of what it is I talk about because when you're connected to people, then you can start to build your community. You can start to really um, fulfill your six human needs through the connectedness that comes from human interaction. Water break. Human interaction. We are we are social creatures. We are not meant to live in isolation. It's the isolation that draws us into these negative emotions that we spoke about earlier. So you don't want to do it alone. Right, twelve-step programs, AA, NA, Refuge Recovery. I did Kaiser Permanente. We've talked about that a ton. I was there Monday, Wednesday, Fridays doing stuff. Right, they even had stuff. They had stuff every one of the days. But I was like, okay, this is good. I can go and refill. I was just, I was very, I was set that this was going to happen. Now, 
at some point, sure, I, I looking back at it, I, at some point somebody could have said, well, you might come off your pink cloud and want to use again. Um, I started making extremely important decisions for myself that assured that I, I rode the pink cloud for as long as possible. My car broke down finally. I had to get a new car, so I bought a really nice car for me, my little Santa Fe. This is the nicest car I'd ever owned. It was basically brand new, coming off a two-year lease. So I anchored my sobriety into the fact that I'm now a person who gets to have a nice car because I don't have to worry about totaling it in a drunken rage. I started taking NLP classes. I started going to and reading all these books on self-help and personal development. And I started really getting active on Instagram and posting all of this stuff. Like it just, it became this thing for me. That's how I solidified it on top of the fact that, you know, month seven, I started doing refuge recovery because that's when football season started. And I wanted that backup plan. And I had all these people at Kaiser I could text. It was amazing. So don't do it alone. Find some people. And look, when you go to meetings, you're going to get around a lot of people. Some of them might be embracing and thriving and ready to really rock and roll with sobriety, right? It might be people who could just sort of, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm going to dabble in this and we'll see where it goes. You want to be mindful of if that's the kind of energy these people are bringing in to this level of state change. If they're just dabbling in it and trying it on to see if they like it and you you want to be serious, that may not be someone that you want to find yourself moving toward. If you're looking for a workout buddy while you're getting healthy, you might not want to find somebody who's like, yeah, I mean, I might do something active today, but we'll we'll see. If you want to be the kind of person who does something active every single day, you're going to want to find someone who's cohesive with you in this movement forward. All right. If you're around people who are just, um, you know, not doing sobriety the way that you want to be doing it. And again, we, we say this in a very non-judgmental manner, right? But also, if they're not doing some of the activities that you want to be doing, then go find the people who are. There's a part of this antisocialness that comes at the end of our drinking and using where we almost have isolated ourselves so much that the ability to make friends as easily as we used to, it shifts, it, it changes. Because in reality, I wasn't making great friends. I was making drinking buddies. And now I'm looking to actually make real friends. And that can, that can bring anxiety and stress. And that can bring some level of fear. What if they reject me? What if I'm not doing sobriety the way they want to be doing sobriety? And they decide they don't want to talk to me anymore. And now, now here comes this rejection. And then whew, right behind it, fear, anger, shame, jealousy, guilt, sadness. They all come rolling in with it. And those can be trigger points. So be mindful that some people are going to like you, some people aren't. And you're just like, you're going to like some people and other people, and you're not going to like other people. Like, you don't like everyone. Why do you expect everyone to like you? And when I talk about uh, having people doing sobriety the way you want to be doing sobriety, right? you might want to hike and they might want to walk. You, know, you might want to write and they might want to sing. You might want to play the guitar and they want to play the cello. Like, it can be something like that. If somebody, and you're like, okay, I don't really like this activity, but I'll go play basketball with you if tomorrow we can go hiking. And you can make those level of agreements. But if somebody's like, no, I am playing basketball every day for six hours and that's how I'm going to be sober and you do not want to play basketball and instead you want to be hiking, then find some people who want to go hiking. Hell, go hiking and find people on the trail who are already hiking. That's where hiking people are. On trails, hiking. (laughs) You want to play basketball, go to a court. There will be people playing basketball. Um, If you want to write, I mean, I guess you go to coffee shops. There are ways to find people 
do or open to doing it by picking up some cool new hobbies that you are looking for. That's the whole moral of number seven by don't do it alone. Find people who are interested in expanding their world because alcohol and drugs and using and so many things constrict our world. It's time to be expansive. And there's number eight. I'm saying that. It's time to be expansive. And here's the juxtaposition. You're going to need to shrink your social circle. (laughs) You're going to want to be expansive while also being constrictive. I know, I know, I know. Now I'm playing with riddles. But here's what I mean by this. Shrinking your social circle, to me, the way I'm going to frame it for you all, is by the social circle that you already have the one that you've already been contending with, right? If you are hanging out with a bunch of people who overeat or overdrink or overdrug, right? They overcomplain, they overdo whatever, right? And you're looking to shift massively your behaviors in your life. The same social circle you've been in is not going to be the most beneficial environment. Unless a lot of them are are getting ready to ride the same train you are, you're going to need to shrink your social circle. And here's the cool thing about shrinking your social circle. You're actually making space for other people who are going to be more open to this new version of you. It's super interesting when I look back. I had isolated myself from most people, but the few I did hang out with were absolutely people ready to throw down and party. And when I started to stop calling them and shrink that version of my social circle, I would start to reach out to people who I would call normies, those take it or leave it drinkers. And they actually would be like, you know, be like, hey, what are you all up to? And I, could, I remember some hesitation, but they'd tell me what was going on. I'd show up and then all of a sudden they'd say, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm not drinking. And mind you, this was, well, this was further down the line, but still they were like, they actually wanted to hang out with me. It's like I was I was that bad seed. I was the black sheep that used to come around and act the fool, and they didn't want anything to do with that. They had chosen to shrink me out of their social circle. And when I came back around and I was you know, not drinking, and all of a sudden I wasn't being crazy Jesse, now all of a sudden there was room for me in their lives. So when you start to shrink your social circle, it's really going to be about just culling out the herd, figuring out who is going to be beneficial for me to have around. And I'm not saying this is going to be easy, Right, These quote-unquote toxic relationships that you've created with your family members, your friend circle, co-workers, it's, it's going to be some effort. right? And it, At first, you're not, you may not be able to go to the sports bar to watch your favorite team because of what's, what that's going to trigger. You may not be able to go to concerts or birthdays or weddings. right? And, and I get that some of those things are way more frequent than others. If there's a wedding that you cannot miss, this is where you better have a sober buddy, someone you've told, hey, I'm sober, can we be buddies on this thing? And if I start to feel a little freaked out, we can go outside and chill for a minute. Have someone on, on, on you know, for me, it was have somebody on Team Jesse, who I could just leave the party with, go stand outside and say, okay, just needed to be away from that. You would be amazed how many people are not drinking at weddings whenever you're not spending your entire time at the bar. You would be amazed. So shrink your social circle from who you currently know by just pushing off those people who are not going to be as conducive to this new version of you. I'm not saying that they have to be gone forever, but there is going to need to be a space between where you stop drinking and where you get to really solidify your sobriety. There's going to need to be some time. And you might even want to talk to them about that and say, hey, this isn't a you thing. This is a me thing. I'm just going to put some attention towards myself you know, give me some time. I'll be back. If they get offended or they don't want to hang out with you anymore, then that speaks volumes to you about who they are as a friend, who they are as a family member. If they take, uh, you know, 
pause or get angry at you because of this decision you're making for yourself so that you can live a better life. If they're getting angry because you've ostracized them from your life because you've set up a boundary, you keep this saying in mind. Often the person most upset with a new boundary is the person who is taking advantage of it not being set in the first place. Often the person most upset about a new boundary is the person taking advantage of it not being set in the first place. You remember that. Number nine, personal responsibility. Your sobriety is up to you. This is it. No blaming, complaining, making excuses. This is on you. Personal accountability. You cannot expect other people to constantly be standing over your shoulder. That doesn't work. You know how we know it doesn't work? Because we were alcoholics and drug addicts for years, and there was people telling us, begging us, crying for us to stop, and we still didn't. It has to be personal accountability. You are not always going to have, you know, this little, you know, I'm watching this show on HBO right now, and there's these little these little animals that follow around the humans, and they call them demons in the show. I can't remember the name of it, but anyways, it's but they're not demons like we think of, like devil demons. It's just like these little animals that follow these. Every human has their own demon, has their own little animal that talks to them. Some have rabbits, and some have you know ferrets, and some have birds. It's the most. I love it. I love the show because there's talking bears and I'm obsessed with (laughs) talking bears in movies. And anyways, I say all this because like, you're not going to have this little critter always following you around, holding you accountable to not drinking, right? You're just not, you are the person in charge of this. What are behaviors that used to lead you to the drinking? What are behaviors about yourself you want to change? Being late, um, not listening to people, ignoring people, staring at your phone all the time, hiding in bars. Like, What are some of the behaviors? Change these behaviors and hold yourself accountable. This is integrity, doing what is right for yourself even when no one else is watching. Your values, your personality traits, a lot of these things are not going to change instantaneously. That your core values may not change at all, but how you go about um, showing yourself these values is going to change. If you believe that, if you believe one of your personal values is freedom, be able to do what you want anytime you want. And that's what had you doing the whole, you know, YOLO FOMO shit for so long, right? Well, I don't fear of missing out and I only live once. So I'm going to party like it's 1999 because I value freedom and I do what I want when I want. Okay. Well, now doing what when you want could mean not drinking. It could mean going and playing basketball with your kids. It could mean having a loving dinner with your spouse, with your partner. It could mean sitting there watching movies with them on a Friday night instead of hiding out at a bar somewhere while they sit at home sad and lonely because mommy's not home, right? You can show yourself these values different ways. You can implant different ways of maximizing this value in your life. What is your convincer strategy that you've changed your value is by changing your behaviors. You cannot expect other people to hold you accountable. They're not going to stop you. They're not going to talk you out of it. They have their own shit going on. They've got to take care of themselves too. If if you want somebody to constantly be chasing you around the house, making sure you're not hiding beer in drawers, that's ridiculous. At some point, they're going to get fed up with trying to talk you out of it. They're going to be like, look, if you want it so bad, just do it. Ah, see, I knew it. You weren't on my side all along. Chug, 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 chug. It's not that they're not on your side, but you're, you're an adult. Personal responsibility. Take care of yourself. Other people can support you. They can have your back, but they can't stay on the phone with you for 10 hours, you know, keeping you from jumping off the, uh, jumping off the, the drinking bandwagon. 
right? You, you chose to get on this bandwagon of no longer using. You make the choice each and every day to stay on it. Other people can support you. They can be happy that you're there. But if you're expecting a parade and fireworks and applause every time you walk into a room and you're not drunk, sorry. You might get some of that, the pats on the backs at the beginning. But at some point, people are going to look at you and be like, great, you're sober. Now what? Now what is where your life actually happens? This is where sobriety isn't what sucks. It can just be life sometimes. We're part of the human condition. We're part of the human world. Things are going to go up and down. Not everything's going to be a grandiose experience. And this leads us to number 10, journey, not a destination, right? It's going to take time for you to heal. This is a journey. The destination for me is the crematorium, right? Instant gratification, impulse control, these triggers, these anchors that fire off this desire to do, 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 do something different right now. I Even now, coming up on six years sober, I'm extremely mindful of my impulse control to yell at my girlfriend when she disagrees with me or to, you know, um, need instant gratification. <clears throat> I'm in a, I'm in a you know, poor state of mind. So I'm going to, you know, go eat this thing or do this thing. I mean, it's instant gratification is the society that we have built up around ourselves, right? Internet better not take more than 0.0001 seconds to load a page. I need to be happy. Somebody better make me happy on Instagram. Um, somebody said something mean on Twitter. And so now I'm going to trash them all over TikTok, right? This cancel culture we have is this instant gratification, this lack of impulse control. Somebody said something that I don't agree with. So that's it. I need to be instantly gratified. I need to be happy all the time. And if I'm not happy, it's somebody else's fault. It's not. Happiness and contentment are choices you make from within that then become something you exude externally. Looking for happiness in the form of other things, food, or I mean, even the gym. Like the gym is great for my mental health, but that alone is not going to make me happy. I can, I, I demonstrate to myself that I am working on myself by going to the gym, but I'm not always happy while I'm there. I don't expect the gym to make me happy. I, it, it's what it proves to me internally about my commitment to this new version of Jesse. That's what the gym is showing me. That's the demonstration strategy I have. Go to the gym, eat healthy, put on some muscle. Okay, I know how to set a plan and follow through and be disciplined. That brings contentment to me. When I can sit down a three-year plan that I'm about nine months into and it's working the way I want it to work, and even when it's not, at least I know I'm working it, and then I can begin to shift it so that I start to get more and more of the results that I desire. This is that it works if you work it one day at a time mentality, right? I'm not going to sit here in future pace a year out. Well, what if I can't go to the gym three days a week? And what if I have to take on a new job? Or what if I have this or that? I'm making shit up. We were making shit up for years in our in our drinking. Well, I can't get sober because what happens if my son gets married and I want to raise a glass of champagne? I'm 27 years old. I don't have any kind of long-term girlfriends. I have no financial stability. And I'm over here wondering about if I'm going to get to drink champagne when I'm 57 years old and my son's getting married. I mean, come on. I remember doing that. Well, you know, one day my kid's going to turn 21 and I'm going to want to do a vodka shot with him. Okay, again, you don't even have a kid. And you know what? You can still take your kid out for a drink and sit there and drink soda water. You do not have to be involved in that manner. But I came up and justified it. 
right? It's that future pacing. It's that and what I was really doing was just seeking the instant gratification now, justifying my behavior now based on a future desire then, which is ridiculous. Taking on a new job, getting healthy, begin, getting healthier relationships. You can future pace out, well, what if I don't like this person in three years? What if I hate that job in two years? What if in a year I wanted to, to release 10 pounds and I've only released five? Well, then guess what? You released five. That's amazing. You took on a new job and a new challenge and you, and you tested the waters and you learned new things along the way. Even if your relationship isn't 100% where you want it, which isn't even attainable, because that sounds a lot like perfection, at least it's a lot further along because you've had some tough conversations. You got vulnerable with the other person, laid out some boundaries, and told them what it is you desire for your life and the role that they were going to be allowed to play in your life in order for you to accomplish your dream life. And that's a key. You are allowing people into your life, and if they are not conducive with what you're doing and they can't get on board with it, a conversation needs to be had. Look, you come around and you get shit canned around me, and you know I'm in sobriety. You know I just hit 500 days, yet you come over to my house and you act the fool? Like, come on. How, how, how do you even comprehend that that behavior is okay to do around me? I got hundreds and hundreds of days of sobriety. You know how important this is to me. And you're getting housed in front of me in my house? (laughs) I know people in the tribe whose spouses got sober, and and it took them a year. But the fact is they came around, and that's a blessing. But imagine how difficult it was for that spouse to sit there and be doing this stuff for themselves and not have that level of support. But it's a conversation that eventually grew to other conversations and a couple rock bottoms. And next thing you know, massive change is happening. And this is the beauty of it. This is why it's a journey and not a destination, guys. Because it took one person a little longer to come to the, to the realization that alcohol was destroying his life and killing him. Even though it was somebody healing themselves was happening right in front of them. But because that person had enough strength and fortitude to stick by this man, Eventually, he came around, and the family is happier and better for it. The stories they'll be able to share in the future of the journey that they both took in order to move into sobriety and recovery, it will be monumental. It'll be something that when they're holding each other's hands at 77 years old, they're going to get fucking teary-eyed about. It'll be those decisions. Each one of them had a different sobriety date, and each one of them made that decision at a separate time, but it is a shared journey now. And when they're old and gray and their kids are running around with their grandkids in their house, they're going to look around and they're going to see the wonderful life they've created for themselves. And they're going to be able to go back to their sober dates and say, that's when this started. The beautiful life you have always desired is on the other side of risking your comfort zone, your status quo, is having these vulnerable conversations and telling somebody in your family, sorry, you're not allowed to come around me and get housed anymore. It's telling someone, hey, you got to get out of my house. Why don't you go stay with your brother for a little while and sleep on his shitty ass couch and let's see if that shakes you back into reality. It's waking up in jail for the 11th time and being like, how in the fuck does this keep being my life? Waking up in a shit tub covered in all of my disgustingness was, that wasn't even the, that wasn't even the first time that it happened to me, but it was the last time I was going to let it happen to me. Drinking is non-negotiable. Using is non-negotiable. These changes will mean everything to your life. Get the booze out of your house. Have substitute beverages. 
be decisive and make drinking non-negotiable. Identify your triggers, your cues, your anger points. Halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Your negative emotions like fear, anger, sadness, shame, guilt, jealousy. These are destroying your self-worth. You have worth. And each and every day you don't use is another day you prove to yourself that you value your worth. How is anyone supposed to value your worth if you don't value your worth? How is anyone going to love you the way you want to be loved if you can't love yourself the way you want to be loved? And you do that by building up trust. And trust is formed by following through with the promises you make to yourself. You made this promise to not drink. Stand by it through hell and high water. Change your behaviors, actions, and those will shift your habits. And we're talking about massive changes. And some of them are incremental and tiny as well. So let me make sure I'm clear about that. Like not everything is picking up all the furniture in your room and in your living room and moving it around so that your environment you used to get smashed in is completely different. Some of them can be as simple as whenever you start to feel like you need to use or drink, you just turn to the person on the couch and say, wow, if today were a drinking day, I'd be smashed. Would you mind talking to me a little bit about this right now and, and discussing a little bit about your feelings? It's that one or two minutes of pattern interrupting yourself out of a previous behavior or action that can begin to shift these habits. So tell someone who loves you that you're doing this. Don't do it alone. Go find people who will support you. Shrink the social circle. Eliminate those who are not going to be on board with the new you at the beginning, and you can reevaluate their, their existence in your life later. But for now, it's all about you. What are you doing right now for yourself to make this sobriety happen and take on that personal responsibility? You hold you accountable. Yes, you can have an accountability buddy. Yes, you can have other people who are supporting you. But in the end, you're the one who could wake up in the middle of the night and decide it's time to drink. Or you could be the one who goes to the bathroom, drinks a little bit of water, goes back and gets a good night's sleep. You hold you accountable. You take ownership. You take ownership. Have realistic expectations of how somebody else is actually going to be able to help you because a majority of this sobriety journey is going to be on your own, in your head, convincing yourself whether you like this new life or you don't like this new life. No one can get inside your head and tell that freaking anger monster to shut the hell up. That's on you. Take ownership. It's only your life at stake here. And I know that doesn't necessarily work when you hear it because we've seen the dirty, burned out, charred up lung on the cigarette packs. And we're like, fuck it, I'll smoke another. We've woken up in the bathtub or on the front porch or in jail or on our buddy's couch. And that hasn't stopped it. So what makes it different now? What is your motivation? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because honestly, that's all it takes. That's all it takes is just just looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. I cannot do this to myself anymore. I just can't. Once you've made that decision, every single thing you do after that will determine whether this solidifies in you or this is just a passing thought. And as soon as you heal and get your, get your mind right a little bit more, you go back to the way things were. This is a journey, not a destination, my friends. Be mindful each and every day. This is what you wanted. You made this decision. Now stick with it. Make that promise to yourself. Build that trust up. Love yourself. I can assure you, one day you'll look in the mirror and the person looking back at you is going to be completely different. And you won't even know all the steps that it took to get there. But inside yourself, energetically, you will know that nothing has ever been the same since. And that, my friends, is the most wonderful sensation. I could pray 
and have blessed upon you is to know that there is hope, there is a way out, that this change that you are making in your life will literally be that fork in the road that you look back on one day and you say everything started then. It's like I was reborn. And I am blessed that I made that decision then for everything in front of me now exists because of what I did that day. It is a powerful, powerful emotion to feel about yourself, to exonerate alcohol and drugs out of your life when so much about our society is built up around embracing them and what they do or don't do for us. We live in a world that just seemingly wants to keep tuning out. I'm asking you to start tuning in. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of my life. Every day will be the best day of your life when and because we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Happy New Year. Glow on. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, my friends. Mm -hmm.